Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm your host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Excited to have you here today and excited to have a great guest uh, with me, and that is Linda Abraham, who is the CEO of Accepted.com. I've known Linda for many years from when I was an MBA applicant myself, uh, and she's appeared on this podcast before, but today I'm going to have her share a little bit of her insights of what she has been seeing over the past few months with the MBA admissions process, particularly as a result of COVID-19. And then also, um, pardon the expression, but pick her brain a little bit about what she is seeing in terms of the next admissions cycle, because um, it's, it's right here with us. And I think it's going to be an interesting one. So I'm, I'm excited to have Linda here. So Linda, thank you very much for joining me again and for taking the time to uh, switch sides of the, of the podcast chair, if you will, from being podcast host to being podcast guest. It's great to have you. Um, I guess maybe just to start, um, tell me about your past few months. What has it been like? You know, what have you been hearing from your, your, um, your, your clients? And also, you know, what have you been hearing from, you know, admissions uh, officers you've talked to, schools you've been in touch with? What's, what have the past few months been like? Okay. So, well, the shutdown first occurred in, in March. And when the shutdown occurred, you couldn't get tests. There was obviously tremendous uncertainty. People were locked in their homes looking for toilet paper, you know, all the, all the stuff that we so fondly remember. Um, and at that point, I think there was just a, a freeze, okay? And then the business schools realized, hey, if the consulates are closed, international applicants can't get visas. They can't come much less, you know, they were hoping at that point the, the social distancing and all that wouldn't last as long as it has. I think that was, you know, everybody's hope at the time. But the fact that visas were closed was major. The fact that testing was completely shut down was enormous. And the schools responded by April by, and so did GMAC and ETS, the schools responded by extending their final deadlines, adding rounds, and really, really encouraging people to apply for the class matriculating in 2020 in these late rounds. GMAC and ETS responded by developing remote online versions of their tests. And I think both those steps made sure that by April, MBA admissions was frankly hopping. A time of the year that's normally fairly quiet, almost sleepy a little bit, a transition period, schools are nailing their classes and starting to think about next year, became very, very busy, both for us as admissions consultants and for the schools as they tried to, to fill up the classes or finish up the 2019-2020 round and start planning for the 2020-2021 application cycle at a time of enormous uncertainty for everybody about everything. I think, that, I think that's a good summary. And I guess maybe as a follow-up there, even with all the uncertainty, as you mentioned, there still seems to be a pretty big amount of action of, of uh, applicants applying. I'm curious, in the ones that you've talked to, 
uh, I'm sure the uncertainty is hitting them, but I'm just, I'm curious, you know, what, what's kind of their, uh, what's kind of their perspective on it? I mean, clearly they're applying. So, you know, despite that uncertainty that there is an interest there, but you know, what are the things that you're coaching them through or having them take into account um, knowing that um, times are different right now? Well, I think there are several factors at play. One, testing did become available and GMAC, you know, enabled a, uh, on, uh, offline whiteboard. So it, you know, GMAT became a friendlier exam and G GRE was going strong. I think TEFL was also available online. So that was kind of one factor. The other factor is that MBA admissions in general is counter-cyclical, meaning that application volume increases in times of recession and decreases in times of economic expansion. So people who lost their jobs, and many people were furloughed and laid off, or who anticipated losing their job or feared stagnation on the job, were suddenly much more interested in applying to MBA and perhaps sitting out the, the um, recession in business school where they could improve their skills, network, et cetera, and then hopefully on the way out, catch uh, an expanding economy, an up, a good wave, if you will. Um, so that was, I think, part of the increased the, the, the idea that if they apply now, they might be safe in business school during a recession. And the idea that the 2021 application cycle could be more competitive because of the recession. So there was this, this um, idea that I might, be, I might get into a better school now when the schools are more worried about filling up their classes and many people are not able to apply, either because of personal commitments, responsibilities, they don't have the test, they weren't ready, whatever the reason, let me get in now. And most, I talked to several schools where they talked about actual increases in application volume in the 2019-2020 cycle, most of which took place in March and later months. And on that notion, so there's, you know, whenever it comes to the in increase in application volume, I always think of, you know, two things. One, the total number of applicants that has increased. And then the second element of it is the, the percentage or number of that pool that is a good fit, good candidate, you know, for a specific set of schools, right? So not just like the total amount, but of that mm -hmm. total amount, who is actually going to be like a competitive applicant? Is it your sense either from the type of um, uh, clients that you've, you've taken on or that you have come in or based off what you talk to schools that the applicant pool is just as strong as it was prior or has there been any change or shift in that? That's a really interesting question. I mean, I think what we were seeing certainly round two and in the spring and to a certain extent in the summer was some people getting into programs that we were surprised you know, pleasantly surprised, I might add, that they got into. Okay. Now, when you talk about, you know, the pool being stronger or weaker, realize that most people rejected at top programs can do just fine in those programs academically. All right. Um, they're they, when they can take the cream de la creme, the creme de la creme, I guess is the correct pronunciation. They will do that. But if they can't take then if they don't have that option, they might just take the cream. You understand what I mean? Uh, so I think when you're talking about class quality, it's a very fuzzy, fuzzy concept. Um, a lot of times I think it equates to average GMAT score. 
And I'm not sure that that's the best, uh, best measure, best yardstick. I, I, I agree with you. And, um, and I, and I say that I give you those two elements just as almost tongue in cheek, because sometimes <laughs> I wonder how good or predictive they are uh, of who really is a good candidate and who isn't. But um, but I do, you know, just, just because the total of applicants increase, you know, if you get a bunch of people who had no shot of even getting into the school anyway, well, yeah. and you wouldn't, you wouldn't want that, you know, anyway. right, right. I didn't, I didn't sense that. I yeah. sensed that we were, you know, in the late rounds, we were getting qualified applicants. Um, we were getting people who had planned to apply in 2021 or for 2021 and then decided, you know, I got my test score. I'm, I'm yeah. really ready. Yeah. And now I have this opportunity and they had many conversations like that. Yeah. Where I would be talking to an applicant and they were, no, I'm applying next year. And I said, well, you want to think about applying now? Yep. And I can remember a couple in particular where one, one in particular where the guy, the guy wrote me later and he said, you know, I never would have applied now if you hadn't encouraged me to do so. I got into a better program than I ever thought I would have. And I, I just really want to thank you. You've changed my life, which is, you know, great for yeah, my ego. But. That's great. No, for sure. For sure. It's proactive thinking on your part too. I guess from a school perspective, what then I would kind of maybe want to take a look at come this fall is the um, acceptance rate and the, and the yield, right? Right. And, well, I, I think the yield is going to um, sure. go up. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, or rather go down. Sorry. You, yes. Uh, you're right. Yeah. 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 And, um, and the acceptance rate. It's at least at some schools is probably gonna is probably gonna go up. They're probably gonna go up, and because they're gonna they're, again, the you know the yield is gonna go down. I think there are people who deposited and then couldn't come. Sure. Or chose sure. not to. Sure. Um, and I, you know, correlation doesn't equal causation, but one of the things that happened is that uh, some schools did waive the um, the GMAT um, or the GRE, you know, kind of tests, right? And so, yeah, so that that's something that uh, happened. I'm just curious. Um, how do you feel about that? I mean, there's, and I say that because there's obvious reasons why that happens, right? In terms of uh, students not being able to get to a test center or just some of the challenges that exist. Um, on the other hand, um, as someone who scored low on the GMAT, I am happy that of that in that sense, because I know there are other really great important factors in terms of being able to evaluate candidates. Right. And then the last but not least, if you're one of those, one of those applicants who applied in an earlier round and got a really good GMAT score, but didn't get in somewhere, you're kind of thinking to yourself, wait a second, uh, what, you know, what's going on? So I'm just right. I'm curious, you know, what are your thoughts on, on some of the schools uh, in particular kind of waiving that requirement? I believe one of the schools, I think it was Kellogg, actually said if you were rejected and you want to have your application reconsidered, they did. Yes. Please, please let us know. And I thought that was actually a really good mood. I was kind of surprised that more schools didn't do it. Um, but you know, they didn't. So you had this, this period where testing was very limited or you had no testing for the, again, the entire March of, month of March. I think ETS came online in early April for the GRE. The GMAT came online late April, if I recall. But in, initially you had the, the online whiteboard that most people really didn't like. So there was kind of, I guess, uh, some back and forth on that into well into May or maybe even early June when um, GMAC said you can do an offline whiteboard. So the move to online testing, I thought was an excellent move by both GMAC and ETS. Um, and, but the, the whole uncertainty caused some schools to just waive a test entirely. I think again, that was Kellogg. Um, 
some schools started accepting just about any test that that walked, talked, or squeaked, right? Um, so you could get the ACT, the SAT. I think China has a specific exam. Um, MCAT, LSAT, you name it, it could be submitted. I think that was, uh, Darden was in, in that league. Um, and there were other, you know, the, you know, the executive assessment has been accepted in general by an increasing number of schools, not, not uh, but it, it really was almost any test was, was accepted. And most schools said, apply as soon as you possibly can. We'll wait to review your application until after you, you can take the test. So I think that was in terms of testing what, what you saw. The interesting thing about it is the whole claim for GMAT's validity, there's, there's a couple of them. One is that it predicts your success in business school, that there's correlation, not causation, correlation between the GMAT exam and your success, particularly in the first year of business school and the first year courses. The other is that it's, it's, a, it's one objective measure Whereas if you look at grades, you know, there's nothing that it's highly subjective. They're all different grading standards domestically within a given school, even a given teacher can grade more you know, harder or easier at a given time of day or because of mood or yet a fight with, you know, spouse or whatever partner. Um, so there's a certain lack of objectivity with, with grading that the test seems to, to take care of. I know there's debates on that also. So, you know, I don't know. I, I wonder if, and there was, there were also all kinds of studies correlating GMA, GMAT scores with success in business school. But do you need like a 730 to be successful in business school? Or do you need a 680 to be successful in business school? You know, I, people with 680s seem to do just fine. And they used to do fine. That's for sure. Um, I can tell you that 20 years ago, a 700 was a very high score. So you know, to address your, your, your question a little bit. Um, the, the main thing I, I'm kind of chuckling about with the wide variety of tests that's taken is, you know, the schools used to say, oh, there was this correlation between success and business school. Obviously there's no correlation with the other tests. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, uh, you want to take a test well. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I think, um, I think what's what's inter what's interesting to me about all of this, well, a couple of things. Number one, um, this MBA programs, um, very much like other industries, are notorious for copying each other and doing the fast follow strategy, right? What has been interesting to me as a result of COVID is that you've seen a whole bunch of different strategies in terms of how schools are responding that are very different from each other. And I actually think that's, in some respects, I think that plays to the advantage of the applicant because it gives them options or opportunities, right? Kellogg is a perfect example, right? Um, uh, Darden in that respect as well. So that was one thing I did really think was interesting and I, in a positive way. The other thing I think, and I will be curious to see um, how this plays out, don't know what you think, but one of the things with COVID, right, has always been this notion of if we have to do it this way now, will we ever go back, right? And if you think about that across, you know, in all types of like industries, yes. right? And so- I don't think that GMAT is going away anytime soon, but I do wonder, you know, if we get through this application cycle and, and, and um, you know, Darden finds out that all the candidates they admitted without reviewing the GMAT score are pretty successful, you know, or any other school does that, you know, what are the implications of that? Or how does that, you know, factor in? And GMAT's been around for years and I think, you know, for, we'll probably be around for many more, but I wonder what, I do wonder what the implications are of like uh, how this, to potentially changes things moving forward. 
Yeah, I was wondering the same thing, especially since on the undergraduate level, I mean, the SAT is, it's SAT mm -hmm. optional increasingly at more and more schools. Uh, the UC system is going SAT optional regardless of COVID. Uh, many, many other universities have gone SAT optional. The graduate schools so far have not, though law schools are now accepting the GMAT. And the, I, I think the, the GRE definitely increasingly numbers of law school are accepting the GRE. And some of them are also accepting other tests as well. But it's mostly the GRE in law school as, as an alternative to the LSAT. Yeah. And uh, no, I, I think that's right. And it, it will be interesting, I think. Um, you know, I, I think the, as someone who scored low in their GMAT and still ended up just fine, uh, and who, uh, shout out, big shout out to Sherry Wallace for, for the, uh, uh, the willingness to admit someone who had a GMAT score a hundred points lower than the, than the, the 80% range. Um, you know, what I think about is that when you, when you say success, right. Or it, cor it correlates with success is success is, is, is in the eyes of the beholder. Right. And you know, I think about the elements of business school that um, I do think that the GMAT is a good predictor of how handle you can, or how well you can handle a rigorous um, uh, education in, in some respects. Mm -hmm. But when you start to think about the fact that, um, you know, at some schools, students don't prioritize academics anyway, or in, in the same way that they might prioritize career. When you start to think about how some programs have non-grade disclosure requirements, right. when you start to think about um, all of the other things that go on in business school, um, I'm not suggesting that the studies are, are wrong. It just, again, going back to the notion that success is in the eye of the beholder, it just may mean that to certain people that it perhaps has varying degrees of uh, importance, if you will. Yeah. Um, so it will be interesting to see what happens moving forward. Um, but the, I'm, I'm looking at my notes here. Some of the other things um, I saw Darton posted, they had a 354% increase in the, I think it was their year over year round four or their last round like volume. Yeah. Uh, so that was really big. And then the other one that was big, big news was that uh, HBS did let, gave the option to students to, to defer. Um, and it sounds like based off of that notion, they're going to have a little bit of a smaller class size right, for this coming year. Yeah. Um, curious, what, what kind of implications does that have? Because HBS is, you know, one of the tops, if not the, like the top school, but, you know, they certainly set the pace, set the mark, you know, what kind of downstream implications does that have for, for everyone else? Um, well, HBS kind of along the lines of what you were saying, tried something, um, probably more because they could try it. And I think they were, my guess is they were surprised by the number of people that deferred. Okay, that would be my assumption. They probably assumed that some would defer, but I don't think they thought that, you know, 20% of their class would defer. Um, so, but they're, you know, I think the implications for them is it's going to be easier for them to have on-class on class classes just because with the smaller sizes, it'll be easier to social distance and check and do all that kind of stuff. So that's one um, implication. Others, you know, a lot of applicants have expressed concern that with all these deferrals, the entering class is going to be that much smaller next year. So I just went to um, a webinar with Chad Losey for the Association of International Graduate Admissions Consultants, and he made very clear there that they plan to admit for 2021 
roughly the same number of students that they would have admitted without the deferrals. In other words, they may increase the class size, again, public health guidelines permitting, so that those who deferred will not be taking the spots of those who apply now. They don't want to, clearly they don't want to discourage people from applying. Now, um, I think that it's, it was pretty clear, again, as you said, that there was a lot of variation in reactions, and I think Harvard was the only one that made this offer. The one advantage of Harvard's offer to Harvard was that it had a really clear idea of how many people were going to show up when it starts class. And that's something that's a big question mark for many, many other business schools that didn't make this offer. Um, so I think that's, that's one, you know, they're experiencing probably much more summer melt than they normally do. Yeah, I, I, I think that sounds about right. And, I, and you know, it's a nice segue on the notion of the, the summer melt. Um, right. You know, summer is the time of the wait list, uh, something I sincerely appreciate having been waitlisted. Um, what, what does, what is, what does the wait list look like right now? Like, what are you either seeing from applicants or what, what have you heard about from schools? How is, how has that been playing out? We are seeing clients get accepted from the wait list and, and, you know, schools have made it pretty clear that they are going more to the wait list this year than they have in years past. I mean, again, Chad Losey made that clear. I've, I've been going through this series of, of webinars and, uh, they're all going to wait list more and they're all, they're not as nervous as they were, I think a couple of months ago about people showing up in class size. I think they think they, they have it under control or that they're dealing with a situation, but um, you know, I think there, there is more going to the wait list. There is more using of the, you know, the late round around four applicants um, to the extent some some schools say they're going to maintain a late round in around four. Now, I don't know how well that's going to work, you know, in the future, in other words, if you have great applicants applying round one and round two, are you really going to hold spots for those later rounds? I don't know. I and mean, you'll have to wait and see what, what's, you know, what's going on with that. And I think the other thing that's kind of growing out of this is where, you know, I don't, I don't think uh, the overwhelming majority of schools looked, always looked on reapplication positively this year because there were so many late round applicants and because they wanted to encourage late round applicants, they're also saying that they're going to clone last year's application for, for all intents and purposes, allow, you know, waive reapplication fees, do anything they can and partially and also because of COVID to um, encourage reapplicants for those people who are interested in reapplying. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Are you advising any of your clients who are waitlisted to do anything differently this year as opposed to years in the past? I mean, because, you know, in the years past, you know, waitlist pretty much year to year is, you know, the same playbook, right, in terms of things to do. Is there anything different that you're, you're instructing them to do differently just as a result of COVID or has it still been about the same kind of strategy? I've had to instruct them more. And I don't think I, if, if a school is a school that somebody would attend, I kind of almost surprised, I think, to have to say this, but I've, I've been telling them, you, you have to let the school know that. Now, that's not necessarily different than any previous year. It just seems to somehow come up more this year. I don't know why. That, you know, you want to let them know that, hey, I will accept your offer immediately. I will be there on the first day of class, regardless of COVID, regardless of social distancing, <clears throat> whether it's remote or in person, 
on the moon or on earth, I'm going to be there. Yep. Totally. Totally. Um, okay. So it's a pretty good synopsis of what, what just happened, but you know, let's, let's look at the future. What, um, what do you think about next year's admission cycle? You know, have you already started talking with your clients about it? You know, oh, what, yeah. what, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? Um, in talking to the schools, most schools are anticipating a strong application cycle, especially domestically. Um, most of my, comp you know, we are and my competition and the schools are reporting increased traffic in terms of website traffic. Um, so I think, uh, again, I'm anticipating that a very busy round one and round two domestically. We have not experienced any decline in international business which is kind of surprising for us. I'm not sure how long that's going to continue. I don't know if it's just us. I would expect that there will be some decline in international applications to U.S. schools. Um, you know, again, we haven't experienced it, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's, that happens. I'm just not sure about that. Um, and again, because of the countercyclical nature of MBA admissions, I really think that it's going to be a highly competitive application cycle and with increased application volume. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. And I, I, I think I'm seeing the same thing. And I, I too was surprised that uh, the, with, with what you just said about international students, just given all, particularly all the hurdles and challenges that they, they yeah. face, right? It just it feels like everything in some respects is against them in certain regards. But um, I guess, you know, moving, moving forward, you know, what, um, what advice would you have particularly for those international applicants? You know, the ones um, who it, it does seem like there's quite a few extra hoops. Well, I think on one hand, you could argue that the people who are um, discouraged from applying because of the hoops and the rhetoric will leave more space for those who decide to apply. So that where, let's say, domestic applicants are going to definitely be facing increased competition because of, again, the countercyclical nature of MBA admissions, the international applicants may not be facing increased competition. Because there's, there's fewer of them applying. So the, you know, it could kind of twist um, in, a, in a really funny way for international applicants. I think the only thing I would, I would encourage international applicants to do is to apply early, so to minimize the potential for visa problems. I also would frankly encourage them to have backups outside the United States, all right, whether it's London Business School, INSEAD, IMD, uh, Canada, University of Toronto, Rotman, those are all excellent MBA programs. And if you, know, if you want an international experience and you want to increase the likelihood that you're going to be able to start in 2021, then have a backup. Don't discard the United States and U.S. business schools, but do have a backup plan. Great. Uh, last question for you before we close out, but just any, any general advice that you can provide to perspective applicants. And I guess through the, the, the lens I'm thinking about this through is that, um, you know, COVID was kind of thrown on us uh, in March. And so obviously yeah. if you were in flight, you kind of had some plans, but uh, I think now, I think mo many of us have accepted the fact of 
Um, this could be with us for a while, including for people who, who do apply now. Um, you know, they may, they may start their MBA program if they get in, you know, under these circumstances, right, just in terms of distancing or things like that. And so I guess, you know, for those candidates who are trying to evaluate, you know, should I apply or is it better to maybe wait another year? Like, um, you know, what advice do you have for them as they kind of think through uh, some of those decisions? Yeah. Um, well, I think some of that depends on their opportunities. Um, if they don't go to business school, are they going to be stagnating on the job? Are they going to have a year of tremendous growth on the job? Do they have any idea? Is their job at risk? You know, um, I've, you know, I've interviewed MBA students. I've interviewed uh, business school directors. And, the, and I think the, the point here is to go into it open-eyed. You, if the shutdowns and the social distancing are still in place in 2021, and you're talking about the class that, uh, that's entering in 2021 now, right? Yeah. So if you're, if, um, you know, I certainly hope that we're not going to be in the same place a year from today that we are today. You know, it looks like there will be a vaccine. It looks treatment is getting better. Um, so I, I'm hoping that by the time 2021 rolls around, we're not going to be in the same place as we are today. If we are, then I think it's, it's really very much an individual decision. I think the schools are, are improving the instruction, improving the interaction, improving the engagement over what was, let's say, in March when they had to turn on a dime. Um, most of the business school students that I've talked to said that they'd much rather be in person. They're missing the kind of casual interactions with both professors and colleagues that they, that they would have otherwise. But they're still glad that they're doing it. And the business schools that I've talked to, whether it's you know, Sherry Hubert at Duke or, or Sujin Kwan at University of Michigan or Chad Losey, is that, look, it's going to be a different experience in 2020, 2021, but it's still going to be a really, really good one um, and a valuable one. So you just kind of have to weigh up where are you going to grow the most? On the job, in your apartment, <laughs> working remotely, or attending business school, possibly at least partially remotely, partially hybrid, you know, they're, they're trying to deal with the situation as well as possible. But it is an individual decision. It's not one that I can say across the board, you should all go or you should never go. You really have to look at your individual circumstances and what are your opportunities if you don't go. Great. I think that's, I think that's sound advice, Linda. Um, Linda, thank you so much for joining today. Uh, if our listeners uh, want to find you or uh, learn more about you, where, where can they find you? Accepted.com www.accepted.com for MBA uh, experience, uh, MBA, MBA information, accepted.com slash MBA. And for one-on-one -on -one assistance, accepted.com slash MBA slash services. You ask for Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.